Bibles and turn with me this morning to Acts chapter 2. Now you will quickly pick up on the fact that that is not the Sermon on the Mount that we are looking at, although we have been for about 10 or 11 weeks now, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount and we will return to the Sermon on the Mount, but for a couple of weeks I wanted to depart from that, take a break, because I, I felt like there were some things that we just kind of as a family need to talk about and need to consider again. They're not new things. Matter of fact, there's not going to be a thing said this morning that you haven't heard me say at least 15 times in the two and a half year life of Grace Baptist Church. We're not going to cover new ground. We're going to talk about old things. We're going to talk about being reminded of things. Because as I said in my uh, Grace Notes article this week uh, that I hope you read, I believe that we are entering into as a church, and we will be continuing in that entrance as a church in the next phase of this morning in the congregational meeting, we are in many ways entering into one of the most dangerous phases in the life of any church. I've been there before. I speak out of experience. I speak out of knowledge. And that, that phase is when you come to a point of God blessing you in such a magnificent way as I think we would all agree he has us, but you, you start moving toward building a building, building a home, building a, a permanent facility for Grace Baptist Church, and Satan is so tricky, he's so crafty, that he, he works very hard during that time to get our attention off of what our attention ought to be on. He loves to distract, and he loves to disrupt, and he loves to discourage, and nothing can do that any better in many ways and many times than a building program can. And so this morning and next week, and probably again in about three months, and again in another three months, and probably for the next 20 years if God lets me stay here that long, you'll hear these things over and over and over and over again, because they are things that we can so easily forget. They're things that we can so easily be distracted from. And my friend, if we do, we lose everything. We lose the unity that God has given us as a body. We, live the, we lose the joy of what it means to walk in Christ, not just as an individual, but to walk in Christ together as a body of believers who are committed to the foundational matters that this church has been built upon and this church, pray, will continue upon. As your pastor, I plan to state these over and over again just to be sure that we don't get our attention off of them and quite honestly, so that I won't get my focus off of them. So I'll keep my focus on it because this really is what matters. I entitled the sermon this morning, The Foundation. I think I accidentally put foundations. I wanted it to be a singular there, but The Foundation of Grace Baptist Church. That is, some of those non-negotiable truths that we stand upon and we must stand upon as our foundation as a church body. Now, the simple answer to that and the simple point of that is that our foundation is Jesus Christ. 
I don't want to miss that at all as we began this morning. He is the chief cornerstone. He is the one upon which this whole thing is built and this whole thing surrounds. But there are some principles, there are some biblical truths that flow out of that. You might call these core values, and we'll talk about those maybe a little more next week. But uh, some things that we say, this is what we are committed to, and we will not, we will not vary from that. One of my favorite passages for dealing with that is Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Now, I hope you recognize, we've mentioned that today is is Pentecost Sunday on the church calendar. I hope you recognize that these verses are coming at the end of that great experience called Pentecost, where Peter stood and he preached, and he declared that God had sent a Savior, that God had sent a Redeemer, As a matter of fact, that God had ordained it from before the foundation of the world. And that which God had ordained, you by evil hands and by sin, have put him to death on the cross. He doesn't release any responsibility of those who put him on the cross. But he said this was by God's purpose, this was by God's plan, and that's what happened. And the scripture says when they heard Peter preaching that, uh, I think most of our translations will say they were pierced to the heart. Literally, the word there for pierce is the word stabbed. It sounds a little more dramatic, I think. They, they, were, they were stabbed to the heart. It was like a, a dagger went into their heart when they heard this because they knew the truth of which he was speaking. And on that day, 3,000 people, 3,000 people as a result of that one sermon were added to the church and the Spirit of God filled them in such a way that there were people from all over the world of all sorts of languages. They couldn't communicate naturally with one another. But on that day, in a supernatural way, God made it so that everyone understood what Peter and the apostles were saying in their own tongue. What a glorious, glorious experience that must have been. It'd be like us going to... Christian gathering, there were Spanish-speaking people and Portuguese-speaking people and Russian-speaking people and Japanese and Chinese and were all in there trying to communicate and nobody could understand anything. And, and God's messenger stands to proclaim the truth of Almighty God and something happens and God by His power and by His sovereignty just makes it so that that man speaks in his native tongue and everybody understands it in their own. That's what happened on Pentecost. It was a reversal of the, the Tower of Babel experience. You remember the Tower of Babel? When, the, when they decided they would build a tower up to heaven and see what was going on there, literally the Tower to Heaven represented we will place ourselves in the place of God. We will become like God. The same sin from the, from the garden was existent there. And so God tore the tower down, scattered the people, gave them different languages, and they could no longer communicate. On that day of Pentecost, the Tower of Babel curse was reversed for a period of time. So they all understood what the truth was. And here in a moment, in in an absolute moment, God has established a church, not only of the apostles, not only of the early believers, but also a church where 3,000 people are added in Jerusalem on that day. Can you imagine what it must have been like? And that church began to, to meet and they began to pray and they began to be together. And God began to work through the apostles' teaching in their lives. And these people were fired up about what God was doing in their life and in that city and in that early church. I mean, they were committed to it. Matter of fact, if you'll read the text with me, follow along as I read it. Starting in verse 42, 
sort of a summary section here following Pentecost. He says in verse 42, And they, that is the believers in Jerusalem, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now your translation, you've got the authorized or the King James, might have an and after fellowship. They were, committed, uh, they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. But in the text, in the, in the Greek text, there is no and there. And that's significant, I think, as we'll see in a moment. They were de- continually devoting themselves. Nothing would interfere with this. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together. And they had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions. And they were sharing them with all as anyone might have a need. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. You know, can you just picture what was taking place in this early church? Can you understand that what Luke is recording for us here is exactly the things that were foundational to that church that made it a strong church that literally shook and changed their world? Luke is saying there are things here. We'll look at four things here this week. We'll look at some application of that maybe a little further next week. But four things that, that Luke says after Peter's sermon at Pentecost and they have all this going on in Jerusalem, four things that absolutely are necessity, absolutely are foundational to the life and the ministry of that church in Jerusalem. First of all, and I want you to see mainly that, that those four foundational things are and must remain foundational things at Grace Baptist Church if we're going to stay as God wants us to be. If we're going to be what God wants us to be in this city and and touch the world beyond this place. These four foundational things are absolutely a necessity. Okay? We'll add some to them next week. First of all, it says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. That is the foundation there and the foundation that must be a part of Grace Baptist Church is is that they were and we are a learning church. Now, that may sound unusual to you. But it says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. They wanted to hear what God had to say. They wanted to understand the truths of doctrine, the truths of the Christian life. And so they went and they listened and they heard and they applied and they tried to live out what they were hearing from those apostles. They were not just sitting around with some kind of a mystical experience. Sometimes we treat Christianity like it's just sort of a feeling that you get. You know, well, I feel like I love Jesus. I feel like I love God. I I feel like something's happening. So I'm just going to go over here and sit down somewhere, and I'm just going to sit and feel for a while. I think there are a lot of people who, a lot of churches who put all emphasis on feelings and emotions, and and they try to drag it out of you, and, and that's the essence of what their, quote, worship is all about. Well, the worship in the early church and the worship in our church must be centered on learning. It must be centered on understanding the Word of God in a whole new light as God takes His Word and by His Holy Spirit and through those whom He has ordained to teach, 
brings forth the truth of that word. As a matter of fact, in that early church, anti-intellectualism and the fullness of the Holy Spirit are mutually incompatible. They, they did not feel that because they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they didn't need to learn. They did not feel that because they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they didn't have to go sit under the apostles. They didn't need human teachers. They had the Holy Spirit. Have you ever heard, ever heard anybody say that? Well, I've got the Holy Spirit. That's all I need. Well, this early church didn't feel that way. And they didn't live that way, and they didn't practice that. They realized that the Holy Spirit... To take Jesus' favorite term, and we've used this in the Truth Project quite a bit, that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. He's the Spirit of truth who has come to reveal and to open eyes to who Jesus is. But He many times uses those apostles, He many times uses those human, human teachers to help us understand and help us grow. You say, well, that was great for them. They had the apostles. All we got is Bill Haynes. Or Scott Gilbert, or Todd, or Ricky, or whatever. You know, just, we've, just got, we've just got these less than apostolic human beings. But you know, we still have the apostles' teaching. Because the apostles' teaching today is found in the New Testament. And the totality of God's Word, Old and New Testament, is, is built upon the, uh, the apostles' teaching is built upon that also. So what we have here is we have the apostles' teaching that is being expounded perhaps and, and exposed perhaps by less than perfect vessels. But we still have the apostles' teaching. That's still to be our focus. We're not to talk about the latest fad. We're not to talk about how to, how to be better, feel better, do better. You know, we're not to talk about how we can have a better self-image or how we can lift ourselves out of depression just to, to help us. But we go to God's Word and we go to the Apostles' teaching and there God instructs us and helps us learn what really truth is all about. As a matter of fact, a living church, a church that is really built on this foundation, will be a church that is submissive to the authority of the Scriptures. At every turn. Now you may say, well, of course we are. We believe the Bible. It's in our church covenant. It's in our, it's in our doctrinal statement. We believe the Bible. We, we really do. But there's a difference in saying I believe the Bible and being submitted, totally submitted to the Scriptures as the Word of God. You say, how? Well, we can talk about believing the Bible all day as long as we don't let it get too close. But what that early church did and what we must do individually and as a body is we must submit ourselves to the Scripture. That is, if we see something that is out of line, what scriptural teaching is, either as a church or as an individual, we're ready to see it changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're ready to see it become something different. In other words, it's not just the authority is not, but we've always done it that way. You know, those are the seven last words of the Baptist church. We never did it that way before. That's just the way we are. But a church that's really going to be the church of Jesus Christ in the 21st century is going to be a church that is submitted to the Scriptures. To say, Lord, just because that's been our tradition, just because that's the way we've always done it, does not mean that we can't change and we can't be molded, not by culture, not by our society, not by the world, 
but molded and shaped by your word. Boy, that's what we've got to be. As we start looking to move over on Oakleaf Lane, you know, we can, we can talk about having a building, how nice that's going to be, and it's going to be great to have all our classes not stretched all the way down Bogle Street, but all together in a building. We can do more things. We'll have more flexibility. Won't that be great? That'll only be great if we remain submitted to the Word of God. If we remain submitted to the apostles' doctrine, the apostles' teaching. There's a second thing here I want you to see. And that is not only were they a learning church, but this, this foundational truth was also there, and that is they were a caring church. They were devoting themselves to fellowship. Folks, that's more than just sharing meals or playing games together. They were devoting themselves to fellowship. And then those two words, to the, or those two phrases, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. The reason I think there's no and in there is because I believe breaking of bread and prayer is really just an elaboration on what fellowship is. It's not, and the breaking of bread there, by the way, carries with it the concept more than just eating a meal together. They'll talk about eating meals together later. This breaking of bread here is primarily talking about sharing the Lord's table, the Lord's supper. They were having fellowship together. Where was their fellowship found? It wasn't in the best meatloaf. It wasn't in the best pie or homemade ice cream. But their fellowship was found in breaking bread around the Lord's table, observing the Lord's supper together, worshiping God together, and praying together. Folks, there's nothing that will bring us closer together in fellowship, true sharing the treasure of Jesus Christ in our lives than just to spend time on our faces before God together in prayer. That's where real fellowship is found. It beats, it, beats having it just over a meal any day because that's the way God planned it. That's the way God purposed it. They were a fellowship and they were a caring people. They were a caring church. How do you know that? We'll look down in verses 44 and 45. And those who had believed, that is believed in Christ, been converted, been saved, however you want to say it, were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them all with all as anyone might have a need. I heard somebody say one time they, they became communistic. Well, no, they became Christian. Uh, there was no compulsion here. Marxism or communism says you must give up all personal property. You must give up everything, and the state will decide how it's dispersed. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? But anyway, that's not what they were doing here. This was a voluntary sharing of what God had provided them with. It's not a prohibition of owning private property. They didn't have to sell their goods. They didn't have to sell their possessions. But they wanted to. They said, we've got brothers and sisters who are in need. We've got brothers and sisters who are not as well off as we are. And they have food needs and clothing needs. And we want to care for them. We want to minister to them. And so they took in and they gave to one another. They shared things together. Meals and homes and whatever was needed. As anyone had a need, they shared them. They cared for one another. You know, one of the greatest, how do I say this? One of the greatest impairments to true fellowship, to true caring in the contemporary church is this idea of individualism. That says, oh, 
I, I can't say anything to them. They're probably hurting so bad. I don't want to make the hurt worse. You know what makes the hurt worse? Not say anything to them. If you see a brother or sister in pain, if you see a brother or sister hurting, whether it's from physical needs or sickness or, or a, a family member that's, that's struggling and, and they're hurting for that family member, and you just sit back and say, oh, well, I don't want to make them hurt more by interfering. You're believing the lie, not the truth, to use our truth project terminology. You're believing Satan's lie of saying, listen, don't bother them. It'll just make it worse. No. No, the Scripture says that, and Paul said in Romans, that one of the real keys to the church in this care and responsibility is, is that we laugh when others are laughing and we cry together when others are crying. And if I see a brother or sister who are really hurting and in pain emotionally, physically, spiritually, whatever, the sign of a caring church and congregation is they come around that one and they love them and they care about them. They take care of each other. We've got to do that. With our economy, we may have to do that even more. Tonight's Truth Project, you don't want to miss it if you're part of the group. It's going to talk about that a little bit. And how we can even minister to the poor and the needy in our community in a way that builds dignity into them and not a, 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 a nanny kind of attitude. And so this church, they cared for each other. If they had something, they sold it and gave the proceeds to others. You know, you got a little later on, Ananias and Sapphira trying to do that, and they, they're struck dead not because, not because they gave half and kept half. That was their freedom to do that. It was that they lied about it. They said, oh, hey, look at us. We've sold what we have, and we're giving everything to God for the good of the church. But they kept half of it back. They lied about it. Because of that, God instituted immediate church discipline. You know, if we had a little bit like that today, we'd probably see a lot more godliness, don't you think? A lot more integrity, a lot more truthfulness. If on the moment when we come and we, we give our gift to God through the offering, we say, oh, this is, this is everything I've got. And God says, oh, really? Bam, you're out of here. You know, that would probably cause us all to... <clears throat> They're thinking just a little bit, don't you think? They were a caring church. There's a third foundational truth here that we've got to see, and that is out of that fellowship flowed worship. They were a worshiping church. It says they were breaking bread, most certainly referring to the Lord's Supper, though it probably had some kind of fellowship meal along with it. They included a meal together. They were breaking the bread they were praying. Prayer is the essence of not only being together and building a, a oneness together, but prayer is the essence of worship. When you come in this place on Sunday morning, I hope that you've prepared yourself in prayer. Maybe by yourself, maybe in your Sunday school class, closing that class with a, a time of prayer together, but focusing not on yourself, but focusing upon Him and going before Him and seeking His face, gazing upon His glory to prepare yourself for worship. I was, I was thrilled last night, and I may get in trouble here and I hope I don't embarrass Him, but I was thrilled last night. 
And I saw one of our children's. I was sending an email to my, my friend, uh, or my nephew, uh, who's in Iraq, that we went to visit last week, uh, Patrick. I, I go, do it through Facebook. And I was on there, and I noticed one of our young people, one of our, I think, sixth graders. He said, I hesitate to use his name, so I won't. But he said, preparing for church tomorrow. I thought, wow, this was on Saturday night. He said he was preparing for church tomorrow. I wrote him back on there on his status. I said, hey, you, I, I, that thrills my soul. It thrills my heart to see one of our young people preparing themselves, readying themselves for church. Because we have to do that. We don't just worship like a light switch. We don't just say, okay, I'm here now, I'll turn it on. And we walk out those doors and I turn it off. This church didn't do it. They worshiped constantly. Together, they worshiped constantly individually. Their focus was upon God. Their focus was like David in, in Psalm 115.1 when he said, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory forever. And a foundational matter of this church is that we worship. And when we worship, we worship. We do very little else during this time together. You notice that? We don't do a lot of recognitions. We don't do a lot of cutesy stuff. We just come in. We call to worship. We prepare our hearts. We sing praises to God. And we hear from God in His Word through the apostles' teaching. That's our focus. And that's what we must be about. We must continue. Now, now, this church was both joyful and reverent, I think you'll find. You know, you know sometimes I go into churches today and it seems like I'm going to a funeral. There have been any churches like that? Everybody just looks so sad. Everybody looks so amazing. Grace. You know, it's just dead. It's just dead. I've gone into other churches where it's, it's not like a, a funeral, but it's, it's just very flippant. Oh, it's, it's happy, church. It's, it's, let's all be joyful and happy, and let's put on a smiley face for an hour or so. But there's no content. There's no depth. There's no reality. This church was neither flippant nor funeral-like because both of those are distortions of the truth. This church was a joyous church seeking to worship and honor obey God and it says they, they they were feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles they were, they were just standing in awe of how great and mighty and glorious God really is when you come to worship that's what you ought to be thinking about wow what a mighty God we serve what a glorious God we bow before. We're nothing. He is our master. He is our Lord. He indeed is king. So they were a learning church, and they were a caring church, and they were a worshiping church. Together, lifting their hearts and their prayers and their voices and joyously singing unto the Lord. There's a fourth thing I want you to see, and you don't see that until you get down to the last verse of this chapter. They were also 
what we might call and what we must be a mission church. A mission church or an evangelistic church, however you want to look at it. But they, they were not just concentrating on themselves. They were meeting one another's needs. They were praying together. They were worshiping together. They were fellowshipping together. But when they scattered from that place, something took place through their lives. That affected the world around them. And, and verse 47 says they were praising God and having favor with all people. Now, understand Luke's probably speaking a little bit in hyperbole here because there were some who were still trying to kill them. They weren't favor with every single individual. But there was a general, a general amazement at the church. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being Saved. They were on mission. They weren't, a, they weren't a monastery. They weren't a cloistered body who just said, okay, we're going to close the walls, we're going to close the windows, and we're just going to enjoy one another. They did enjoy one another. But when they went out of those doors, they had worshipped, they had fellowshiped, they had prayed, they had studied God's Word, and they went out of those doors equipped and ready to impact their world. Not with just good deeds and goody-goody stuff. They went out ready to prepare and prepared to impact the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, which we'll talk about that more next week. Our focus, as we'll talk about even in the congregational meeting in just a few minutes, our focus and commitment must always be looking beyond our own walls and, and, and our own needs. And we need to be touching Somerset and touching Kentucky and touching Pulaski County and touching the world beyond because we're worshiping, because we're fellowshipping. It says God was adding to their church, adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. You could spend all day just talking about the glory of that last phrase. I won't spend all day, but I do want you to notice a couple of things. First, notice it was the Lord that was doing it. And when we are worshiping and studying and praying and fellowshipping as we ought to be, God empowers us and uses us. He does it through the instrumentality of his people. But God's the one who does it. Secondly, he puts two things together there. He added to their number those who were being saved. He just didn't bring in a crowd, but he did a work of grace in people's lives, and then he brought them into the number and the fellowship and the body of believers where they could worship and fellowship and pray and care and be equipped and they could go out and do the very same thing. There had to be a relationship. God was doing it. It was in a relationship with Christ. Those who were saved were added. They weren't about drawing a crowd. They were about building a church, building a congregation. And the third thing I want you to see is he was doing it daily. <laughs> Every day, day by day. God was doing that work because this church was in tune with who he is. They were foundational. Jesus Christ was the cornerstone. And Jesus Christ is our cornerstone. And they worshipped and they learned and they fellowshiped and they cared for one another. And then they went out and they changed their world. 
Folks, that's our call. When we build something over on Oakleaf Lane by God's grace and provision, I want you to understand we're building not a cathedral for us to enjoy, not a place for our comfort, but we're building something practical and something that will be a tool for taking the gospel. It's not a, it's not a monument to man's ability or man's goodness or man's creativity but it's to be a a beacon if you will a light if you will a, a lighthouse that says he is the light of the world and we point to him and everything about it and everything we do in it is to be about what we're talking about in these foundational truths if we lose that we lose everything if we lose that, we become an entertainment center. But we won't do it as well as you could get somewhere else, even on television. If we lose that, we, if we lose these foundational matters, we cease to be a real church. We may call ourselves a church. A lot of places call themselves churches. But I can take you and point you to places today all over this country that have the name C-H-U-R-C-H in their name, church. But they're far from it. Because see, a church is not determined by what we want it to be. Hear this. This is important. A church is not determined about what we want it to be or what we want. A church, a true church, is determined by God. And what He says it is. And what He says it must be. And so it comes all full circle back around to the submission to His Word, to the submission to His Scripture. We don't have the privilege, we don't have the right to say, oh, well, I want to do it differently than the way God said we ought to do it. We do it His way. Or we cease to be a church. My prayer, you know, I've seen it so many times. When you start a building program, you start looking toward building, somebody say, well, I don't like that. I don't like that color. I want the carpet this color. No, I want it this color. Well, we're just going to fight over that. Well, baloney. I don't care if it's chartreuse. I don't even know what chartreuse is, to be honest with you. But I've heard that. I don't care what color it is. That's immaterial. What takes place there? What's happening there? What's the focus there? Is it on the Word and is it on God? Talk about all this again next week in a different light. But, but what's the focus and what's the content? Not what's the color or the shape or the veneer. What's taking place there? Is it what God has ordained? Or is it just what man enjoys? foundational truths. What is the foundation of Grace Baptist Church? The, it's Jesus Christ, but it's we are a learning people. We are to be a caring people. We are to be a worshiping people. And we are to be a mission people. On mission as He has called us. See that again next week. Let's pray together. Father, we bow again in your presence, Lord. We bow again in your presence thanking you that you are the one 
who brought Grace Baptist Church into life, into being. And Lord, it, we've come to focus on you and nothing else. We've come to glorify you and nobody else. We've come to, to just see you in all of your majesty. And let that change our life. Let that change our perspective. Let that change everything about us. Father, I pray today that your Holy Spirit will move. Your Holy Spirit will direct us to stay the course that you've called us to. Father, I pray for men and women here this morning that maybe don't know you as Lord and Savior. I pray, Father, your, your Holy Spirit will move in their life, and draw them to Christ and faith. Pray, Lord, for others that maybe you're leading to be a part of this church family and plant their life and their ministry here. I, I pray, Father, you'll confirm that with them today. But, Lord, for all of us, I pray that this will be a time where we stand in a moment that will be a time of consideration, time of recommitment to what you're doing here at Grace for now and forever as long as you leave us on this earth thank you Father we pray in Jesus name Amen